0: Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now, here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. Welcome back, everyone, to another Pain Talk podcast. Today, we're going to finish off what we started last week, talking about how to help manage patients who are presenting with anger or frustration uh, and the situation is not going well. So thank you for joining me for another Pain Talk podcast. And so we're going to dig into how you might approach a very difficult situation. So just to review, so why patients and relatives might become angry, especially in the chronic pain population, is that we need to remember that they're coming from a place of fear and uncertainty. They have been through the ringer uh, within the healthcare system trying to get some answers to help them understand and live with their chronic pain. So they may not be ready to hear uh, our conversation about the fact that they may come off, need to come off that acute pain treadmill. Um, they still are in that position where they wanna be fixed. Uh, so it's it's being sensitive to the fact of where th- where they are in that journey as well. So they may be coming from a place of fear and uncertainty, but they may also not be ready to hear what we're telling them around their painful condition. So they've also waited a long time as we mentioned Uh, And so they've lost trust in the system. They've had this real long delay in their diagnosis. Um, So, uh, And they also may feel that the the system itself is not meeting their expectations. Some patients, unfortunately, can often come to us uh, struggling with other types of illnesses like substance use disorders. Uh, And uh, so especially if that patient is altered in any way, it's not a good time to have a conversation. I think it's important for us to understand that what they've, what, what's happened, especially if there is a substance abuse disorder, you may need to change your course in order to do a, an intervention with that patient because they may need treatment in other ways in order to get that addiction stable before you get into helping them manage and live with their chronic pain. So this comes up sometimes when I'm working with patients who are struggling with opiate use disorders that are not ready to recognize that their opiate use disorder is probably what's driving their their persistent pain at this time. Getting that uh, opiate use disorder stable helps to actually decrease their pain, but they still need other tools. And this is where pain self-management can be very useful. Um, and also these individuals are coming to us with the habits and behaviors and with the tools that they have been using through their life. So they may not have had good support systems that taught them how to navigate some of the social interactions that we need uh, in the real world in order to get through it without uh, creating a lot of disruption so anger people who struggle with anger uh, often don't get along very well sometimes with other people so they may be coming to us in that kind of state Uh, so what's important to recognize is that we the only thing we can control really is ourselves now i just want to reinforce the fact that that rarely do i see that in the pain population I often see that more in my job in the emergency room. So every interaction that I have, I see it as an opportunity to learn how to manage my emotion and bringing more empathy to that situation. Uh, So there are so many opportunities where we can learn ourselves. So we need to adjust our style of communication when that patient is angry. So once we recognize that the patient is angry, we need to adjust our style and try to diffuse their anger or at least prevent them from escalating. So this is where your body language becomes really important. Bringing empathy to the situation, listening and leaning into that patient, showing interest in that conversation, keeping my voice calm. I don't want to escalate my voice. But over and over again, I need to bring in empathy. I love this mnemonic, believe. So body language, empathy, listen in and lean in and listen, show interest, bring empathy, voice is calm and empathy. So it's just a, a nice way, but empathy is, is really the take-home. What if you're in a situation, though, that you're doing all of this wonderful uh, interaction with that patient, you've come in, you've brought in some lower energy to that situation, you're sitting down with the patient, the patient's having a conversation, but what if that patient doesn't want to sit down? They are so angry and so um, agitated that they want to pace. If that patient is not willing to sit down when you're having that conversation, then initially I think it's really important that we not fixate on the fact that they won't sit down. So if they need to be standing, then I think it's important that we stay standing. Try not to put ourselves in a vulnerable position by sitting down. It's very different if you're sitting down and the patient stands up in paces. Now, most times it really depends on how the situation feels, but I often will get up with the patient, but sometimes that can be seen as a threat as well. What is so important, though, is that when you're in those situations, is that you have access to that door. Because if that escalates even further, you need to be able to get out of that room um, to keep yourself safe. And also, uh, I think it's important uh, for the patient to recognize that the conversation, the way it's heading, is not really beneficial to you or to them. I think it's important in patients that want to stay standing is that they just need to be able to get rid of some of that energy. And so they feel more comfortable standing up. Um, so those are the kinds of things that you you want to be able to be flexible with. It's important as well as if you do decide to remain standing is that you not be aggressive in your posture. So nonverbal communication, uh, we can show a lot of anger. We can show a lot of tension just through our body movement. So this is where I sometimes will take a deep breath and say to myself, you know, stay calm. You know, take a deep breath. Uh, Try to keep my voice very low so that the patient is coming down to my level. And hopefully what we can do is get that patient to a place where you can have that conversation. If it's not working, they need to understand that right now is probably not a good time to have the conversation because they're having a very difficult time. And that maybe it is something about the energy between you and them. So bringing somebody else into the conversation that they may be able to relate to may be more helpful. So I think offering them at that point as well. If the conversation seems to be settling down, then that may be an opportunity to see if they're open to sitting down. And once both of you become seated, then uh, you can try the conversation at that point. Um, but, I mean, you do need to be totally flexible in, in these situation. If you, as a person who is conducting that interview or interacting with that patient, feels threatened by the patient or any of their relatives, Then it's really important to remove yourself from that situation and to prioritize your own safety. And I think that's something that we intuitively understand and I've learned in my medical career that when I walk into a space, I need to know where the patient is going to be and I need to know uh, my access to to, uh, the door. And this recently came up uh, in a clinic that I work in where a patient became very, very agitated and then I realized uh, that my access to the door was limited, uh, primarily the way that the uh, the desk was sitting and where the chairs were sitting. And it didn't really come on our radar initially. It was the first time that we had actually had a confrontation in this particular space. Um, but I was able to diffuse the uh, interaction with the patient. I was able to uh, have myself step out of the room, have somebody that could actually uh, have the conversation with that individual. And soon after that interaction, We rearrange the space that we're in. So sometimes uh, when we are are not really, especially if we work in multiple spaces, which is what I do, there can be, and especially multiple spaces that different people may use as well. There may be some, you know, moving around of furniture, but it is important to feel safe in that space. So always position yourself between the door and the patient uh, so that you do not want to be locked from leaving that room. Avoid any sort of physical confrontation with your patient. So it's really important that there not be any kind of physical contact. There's no escalation. Um, if you feel threatened even before you go into that room, it may be worth, worthwhile having someone with you uh, to also be a witness or diffuse that situation as well. It's also useful uh, if, if you feel that that tension is building um, and you're not expecting it. So say if it's a family member or a relative of that patient, uh, and you feel threatened, you need to uh, sometimes make up an excuse to say, "Look, right now I have to check on another patient that we're just starting to do something. I'll be right back." And then when that occurs, you might decide to come back into the room with somebody else. Uh, you may leave that door open, have that conversation with one person rather than keeping two people in that room. Uh, there's lots of different strategies that you can can do, but you want to prioritize your safety. I think that's the bottom line. So sometimes, too, as healthcare providers, we get patients who complain about our colleagues. And this is really awkward and very difficult to manage sometimes. So the important thing is that we don't want to talk badly about our colleagues. So this may be a very legitimate concern that the patient has. Um, So it's important not to try and uh, defend, stand up for your colleague. Don't get pulled into that argument. Um, you, so use very neutral phase, uh, phrases uh, when you're talking to the patient. So avoid giving your personal opinion about that colleague. Uh, try not to, to encourage the patient to be abusive, but acknowledge that that was a difficult situation for that patient. So I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. Hopefully that, that it can get resolved. Ideally, in those situations, it should be the colleague, if it's a legitimate concern, it should be the colleague that is apologizing to that patient. So um, so that is something that you want to try and work towards. Uh, so it needs to be a conversation that needs to happen between the patient and the colleague uh, of yours that may have been part of that. So, uh, so what if your patient is still very angry despite your best efforts? So despite your best efforts, you've tried everything. Uh, it's important that you may need to redo that appointment to some other time. Uh, especially if you're not able to uh, dissipate uh, the, the emotions and the anger that the patient is presenting with. And I think it's, it, it is important to feel safe, to be able to know that when it is to walk away, but to use every skill you can to kind of lower the tone, to tell the patient that you're there uh, because you care about them. Uh, a phrase that I use often in the addiction population, especially if I'm working in the emergency room, is I tell the patient, that I'm there because I believe their life is worth saving. How do I convince them that their life is worth saving? So this is where a confrontation might happen because I'm not giving the patient the opioid that they want. But they need to know that I do care about them and that I'm there because I believe their life is worth saving, especially if I'm getting them to become more open to opiate agonist therapy. So that would be a classic example where a patient who's very agitated, uh, struggling with an opiate use disorder, may not be ready to seek help you know, for their disorder, but letting them know that you're there because you care about them. So what about the situation where they want to file a complaint? It is really important to recognize they have every right to file a complaint. You may want to explore why they want to file that complaint, because you may be able to resolve the issue uh, right on the spot. So rather than shut it down, sometimes I'll have a conversation. Can I ask you why you feel important to... Um, you know, put in a complaint or to file a complaint. You have every right to do that, but can we kind of talk through that? Um, so it is my duty uh, to give that patient or the relative uh, uh, access to where they need to take that complaint. um, so they need that information. So we need to be open to that as well. And I have no difficulty with patients. Um, and I tell them sometimes that maybe airing that complaint may help to bring all of the different parties together so that we can work through whatever the issue was that was was frustrating them. So sometimes, though, the ability, you know, when we allow patients to, uh, and this is another situation that might occur, is that the patient is just venting. They're just going off course, they're venting constantly, and uh, they're becoming more and more agitated. Sometimes an interruption can be helpful. So what I will do is I'll say to the patient, this conversation is not going well, and that their escalation is actually not helping them as well, because we're not getting anything done. So if it is an unproductive meeting, if they're becoming more and more agitated, more wanting to to vent, then usually what I'll do is do a gentle interruption. So I can. So you may use a comment like, you know, I'm so sorry to interrupt this conversation. I can see that this has made you very upset, and I'm sorry that this has happened to you. Is there anything I can do today to help you? If not then I'm going to remove myself from this conversation because it's just all your presence there and their venting is actually causing everything to become more, um, uh, more escalated. So that doesn't happen very often. I haven't been in a situation where we haven't been able to diffuse situation. I've definitely removed myself from situations where I felt threatened. So it's a, so. This is the final point: is that it's really important. Don't ignore how you feel. We also come to these situations with all of the habits and behaviors that we've developed through life. Most of us find it very uncomfortable to to uh, sit with somebody who is angry, but it is important that we recognize: okay, is this an area of healthcare? That I need more training in. Is there something because we're not most of us are don't spend a lot of time learning skills of dealing with or managing or or reaching out to people who are coming to us who are emotionally distraught or who are emotionally angry. So seek the help of your institution uh, from colleagues who are very good at this. We have physicians in our in our group who are very good around uh, the mental health and addictions piece. Uh, who can we can sit there and talk with about how they might manage very difficult situations. So it's important to recognize my needs and to see every interaction with a patient as an opportunity to learn something about yourself, but also to find more effective ways to communicate to patients. So we're going to stop there and hopefully see you uh, in the next podcast. So we'll sign off for now. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.